Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Good morning. Um, Yes, shall we pray quickly? I think that would be useful this morning. I feel like there's all sorts I could say. But we've already had some particularly special moments, felt like God was powerfully with us as we worshipped, and my topic for this morning is one where if I can say less and he can do more, then that's a big win. So should we just pray together for a moment? Father, we are so thankful for your presence with us. We are blown away again this morning by both the extent of your majesty, how great thou art, and the tenderness of your closeness to us by your spirit, that you would be with us and in us, as Antonio said. And Father, we, we come to you with hearts open. I come to you, Lord, I want to say as little as is on my sheet as necessary. But Lord, we want as much of you as we can get. Amen. It feels like um, quite a significant period of time in the life of the church at the moment. Obviously, we've, we've just lost Jenny the week before last, and um, please do come tonight if you'd like to spend some time with others, sort of remembering her together. It's a deeply sad thing. Uh, last Sunday, we had the joy baptizing four people in the life of the church, including, don't know if you clock this, the first child that was uh, born into Hope Church and then baptized as a believer in Hope Church. That's a pretty momentous moment, isn't it, in the life of a church? And a a great thrill and a a real joy. It was just a great time together, wasn't it, last Sunday uh, at the baptisms. And so it feels like there's some significant life moments in the life of the church. It feels like you've probably had this conversation. Life's returning somewhat to normal after the chaos of the years that have preceded it. Somewhat to normal. Um, And over the last couple of months, partly because we've invited some guests in, partly because Easter and baptisms and other things, there have been three Sundays where we kind of said, look, I'm going to do three one-off talks, and it's been a joy to do that, and as I've done it, I feel like really it's become a, a mini-series, um, and at talking with some of you um, as we've gone through them, it feels like they've resonated with different people have found themselves, um, apt for the moment, and uh, it's been a joy, and so hopefully today we can tie them together in a way that is really helpful for each of us as we try to follow Jesus in 2023. Um, A few weeks ago, we did train our attention. We looked at Hebrews. It talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus. And we talked about resisting the seduction of unrestricted choice. Do you remember? I had a big bag of biscuits. We talked about walking down the high street on a balmy European night and all the sellers try to sell you stuff. We realized that our attention is a marketplace. The whole world is competing to get real estate in our heads But the call of those who want to follow Jesus is to throw off everything that hinders and fix our attention on him. And we have to be diligent in training our attention towards Jesus. Uh, Then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at John 15 and the words of Jesus, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. The invitation to come to the table, to sit with him, not be servants standing around the edge of the room, unable to participate in what's going on, but friends, loved, secure, valued, trusted, invited to sit with Jesus at the table, and upon the table is everything the Father has made known to Jesus, he's made known to us. 
Remember those two talks? And uh, the whole kingdom purpose of the Father's out, and we get to collaborate with God in the extension and advance of his kingdom. And um, I've really enjoyed preparing for them. Many of you have said they've been helpful. But there is a, a kind of an, an appropriate response because you hear those two things, and, and I don't know if you've thought this. Some people have said it to me. Uh, but you know, the task of training our attention and the, the, the battle sometimes of coming to the table as a friend, remembering that we are loved and cherished, and the, the opportunity to dream actually is quite a hard thing. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Hard to train your attention, to resist the aggressive push from outside. Hard to keep reminding us, no, I am loved by God and I am welcome to sit at the table. Martin Luther said, I have to tell my people every week that they're justified by faith alone. Because every week they forget that they're justified by faith alone. And uh, there is a sense in which it is, it is hard. And the moment of time we live in makes it hard. There, there is a, an aggressive force, a tide pushing very strong the opposite direction. Pushing you into mindless scrolling, doing this, that and the other. Your attention is a battlefield. It is hard because it's pretty exhausting to keep going and doing the right thing. I don't know if you feel this in your life. If it's just me, that's fine. You can all pray for me. But I, I get the sense, and certainly talking to, to people I know, it's hard sometimes to keep on doing the good, right things that you know are good for you. And we live in a moment where there's tons of legitimate questions. You know, we've, we've lived through, as I've just alluded to, several years of things we never thought we'd see. We have war in Europe. I didn't expect that. We were locked down, and the whole COVID thing has done, I think we're realizing, a real damage to our souls that we're recovering from. The fear, the unknown, the threat, the separation. And at the same time, loads of other significant things have changed. The way the world sees money, I don't know if you notice this, has changed a lot, and institutions of money has changed a lot in the last decade or so, perhaps since the financial crash, 2008. People don't trust banks anymore. You notice? In fact, you can not use banks, just use crypto instead. Not advocating it. But the whole approach to money has changed, and there's some real questions that come with it. The whole workplace has changed. The idea that the Deputy Prime Minister could say what he said about the workplace on Friday some years ago would have been crazy. And then you've got the rise of AI and the fact that we're going to change careers multiple times. Many of you have changed jobs and ha had to change jobs because of changes in the job market. We live in a moment where there are lots of legitimate questions about how do we see the world around us, and it is hard to navigate. Even the question of what is it to be human is raised in our moment in time in a whole new way than it ever has done before. What is it to be a man? What is it to be a woman? Enormous questions raised, and we can feel somewhat disorientated in those moments. I feel somewhat disorientated in those moments sometimes. And so it's no surprise that we go, yeah, Adam, that's great. We train our attention. We come to the table. We... It's great, but it's hard. Add into the mix that I feel like a week doesn't go past without some sort of significant Christian leader in the world morally failing. And we're left with challenge in following Jesus in 2023. I think we need to be a little bit honest, a bit more honest about that in life. It's hard. The people we've looked up to, the people who seem to have had it sorted, the people who are supposed to show us how to do it, keep messing it up spectacularly. And so how do we do this? It feels hard. Well, 
today we're going to see how God helps us in the midst of challenge, in the midst of the challenge of training our attention, in the midst of the challenge of coming to the table, in the midst of the challenge of staying steadfast and faithful to God in the middle of a changing world. Sound like a good thing to do? Great. Um, Because here's the good news. Although it is hard, God helps us. You can breathe a sigh of relief. He does not leave you to your own best endeavor for you. I know my own best endeavor. It wouldn't get me very far. But the Lord comes and he helps us. And God helps us as he always has done. And if you were to read the Bible, which I would encourage you to do, you will find that the way God helps people time and again is he gives himself to them. He gives them of himself. And so you go through, you can find people like Moses and Aaron and Miriam who led the people of God in the Exodus. The Spirit of God came upon them for that task. God gave them himself to lead his people. You can see people like Elijah and Elisha, prophets of God, people who were given the Spirit of God in a time where people were forgetting God and rebelling against him. You find stories like Samson, And Gideon, men who the Spirit of God came upon to deliver the people of God from enemy armies and enemies ruling over them. And what we see as we read the Old Testament, you may have heard this phrase, we find that the Spirit of God is given to specific people at specific times for specific things. Not everyone got the Spirit of God upon them. When Sam, favorite story, when Samson rips the jawbone out of the animal on the floor and kills a thousand enemies, not everyone got that power from God. Just him, specific man in a specific moment for the specific task. And you track that through, that's the Old Testament, you get to Jesus and we find the same. He was baptized and as he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him, a specific person, for a specific thing at a specific time and leads Jesus, empowers the ministry of Jesus. But it changes. And it all changes on a particular day when 120 people are in a room praying, waiting for the gift that God has promised to give them. Suddenly there's a sound like a rushing wind, tongues of fire appear above their heads, and they're filled, each of them filled with the Spirit of God. And they pour out into the marketplace and begin to tell the world, God is real. Jesus rose from the dead, and you can know him. God's purpose was always that his Spirit be poured out on all flesh. God's purpose was not that it would be kept for the special few, but that everyone that followed him would receive the Spirit. And so now we have, it's no longer specific people, specific times for specific things. It's now all of God's people, all of the time, in all things. That's how God helps you and I in this moment to follow. And Jesus describes like this. He says, it isn't some impersonal, ethereal force that comes to you. And sometimes that can feel like how we talk about the Holy Spirit. He says, but no, I'm going to, back to the Father, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send you another advocate, another counselor, another one just like me, is what he says. Another one just like me. He says, I'm going away, but I'm going to get the Father to send you another just like me. I won't leave you as orphans, Jesus promises them. I will return to you. And that's what we see in that moment as the wind is heard and the fire appears. Terry Virgo, who's like the founder of our wider family of churches, I heard him describe it once like this and I loved it. He said that 120 people would have been in that room and as they heard the wind and as they saw the fire and as the Spirit filled their hearts, they would have looked at each other and with a glint in their eye, 
and an enormous smile emerging on their face, they would have said, he's back. Jesus is back. God helps us by giving us himself. Helps us to train our attention. Helps us to know that we can come to the table. He helps us to collaborate with him by filling us with himself by the Holy Spirit that we might be empowered to follow him. And this morning we're going to read a short section from the New Testament. See one way this is described. Then I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit a bit. Then we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come, just letting you know. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you turn to Ephesians. It's near the back of your Bible. Chapter 5 is where we're going. I have put it on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. And we'll read a few verses together. Ephesians 5, we'll start at verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And the word wise should just ring a little bell, because we sat in this room and we heard Jeremy Simpkins a few weeks ago talk about another part earlier on in the letter for, to the Ephesians, and his passage included the word wisdom. Do you remember? I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of Wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. Wisdom's not found away from Jesus. Wisdom's found in Jesus. You want to live as wise, not as unwise. You need to look at Jesus. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And it's not Here, the personal will, this is God's grand plan. This is the plan that's laid out on the table that you are invited, if you're a friend of Jesus, to come and sit at and to see. See the way these things tie together beautifully. To understand what God's purposes are. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Paul here is writing to the Ephesians, and he kind of says three things that really are about the same thing. He says, don't live as unwise, live as wise. Don't be foolish, understand what God's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, which leads to a quality of life that looks pretty good. The first thing to comment is that where it says, be filled with the Spirit, it's an ongoing sense. English is a somewhat limited language in a way that Greek, the language this was written in, is not. And the tense in the Greek is not, it's a one-time thing. It's, It's a present tense thing that keeps on going. Uh, the, the better translation would be, be being filled, but that is a bit clumsy. I've decided to go for this morning, go on being filled. It's the third part of our series, go on being filled. It's a present, it's a continuous, an ongoing thing. It doesn't mean moment to moment, like there's a moment where you're filled with the Spirit here, and then you need another one here, and another one, it's not like that, it's not 
On a Sunday, you get filled with the Spirit, and then you get battered all week, and the next Sunday, you get filled with the Spirit, and then you get battered all week. And the next. That, that's not the picture. The picture is it's this ongoing, flowing, filling, receiving of the Holy Spirit. Go on being filled with the Spirit. That's the picture Paul is creating. And then he gets to a fantastic analogy, one which will have made some of you sit a little bit less comfortably in your seats, because I'm going to talk about alcohol this morning. Some of you will have heard stuff like this before, and you'll be like, I know what's coming. Maybe I've got one or two things you haven't heard before. Maybe not. We'll find out, won't we? But Paul essentially cracks out, I think, one of the best analogies for understanding what he's trying to explain that I can think of. And his analogy is this. He says, you know when you drink alcohol and you go on drinking alcohol, it doesn't end well. That's essentially what he's saying. If you drink the spirit, it ends well. Very simple contrast. Very simple analogy. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever sat down with a friend and they said, I went out last night, had a few drinks, had quite a few drinks actually, and you know what? About 11.30, I made the most prudent financial decision I've ever made in my life. (laughs) Ever had that experience? No! Ever sat down with a friend, they said, well, last night for a few drinks, had quite a few drinks. And about midnight, I got my phone out, and I composed a really considered and encouraging, constructive message to someone I work with, telling them how much I appreciate them in a very plutonic way. Anyone ever had that experience? No, because no one's ever done it. If you go on drinking alcohol, you do stupid things. That's the deal. But if you go on being filled with the Spirit, you do excellent things. That's the point Paul is making. No one has ever said, I went out for a few drinks last night and I had quite a few drinks and I ended up doing some stuff that I am really proud of. The conversation is exactly the opposite. I don't know where my money went. (laughs) I sent a stupid message. I said some stupid things. I regret it. I mean, maybe it was fun, but I I probably wouldn't have done it. That's the picture he's drawing on. Debauchery is all all chains off, all things let loose. I do want to make one note, which is I was looking at this passage about 15 years ago with an Iranian friend. And in his Persian translation, it said, do not drink alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit. That was how the translators had translated it. And I would like to say that's not what it says. I don't want to bind anyone's conscience here this morning. It doesn't say don't drink alcohol. It says don't keep on drinking alcohol, say those stupid things. Instead, keep on drinking the Spirit and do excellent things. It doesn't say don't drink alcohol, but it does say you know what happens if you keep on drinking it. And there's a a guy, quite a famous Christian preacher from the 20th century. He was also a medical doctor. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones spoke with a wonderful Welsh accent, which I cannot replicate. And uh, and this is what he said when speaking about this passage. He said, alcohol is a depressant. If you go to a pharmacological book, I'm saying the wrong word, aren't I? Medics in the house? Pharmacological. I was close. If you go to a pharmacological book, this is what it'll tell you. Alcohol is a depressant. It depresses, he says, first and foremost, the highest centers of all in the brain. Everything that makes a man behave, and a woman, behave at his very best and highest. And we know this, right? We, we know this. The whole world knows this. Just some people choose to ignore it. 
Alcohol reduces our ability to resist temptation. You're not going to contest that point. That's why people eat kebabs. (laughs) And it's how people get themselves into serious trouble. It reduces our ability to resist temptation, whether that's a kebab or a person. It reduces our personal awareness of our limitations. This is why we don't drink and drive. Because when you've had some drinks, you think you're a rally driver. You don't realize that you're a limited human being. You think you're a superman or superwoman. It reduces your ability to understand your limitations. And it reduces critical thinking function. Now, some of the best art ever done may have been made under the influence of all sorts of things. But the best decisions that have ever been made were not made under the influence of a depressant which stops your critical thinking function. It stops us asking, is it a good idea? That's why people eat kebabs. People send stupid messages. People don't know where their money went. It depresses the ability to make good decisions. It makes us foolish, and it stops us being wise if we keep on drinking alcohol. That's the point Paul is making. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones continues, the Holy Spirit, however, is a stimulant. He stimulates our every faculty, the mind, the intellect, the heart, and the will. And so just as alcohol depresses our ability to resist temptation, the Holy Spirit increases our ability to resist temptation. He gives us a glorious picture of Jesus that helps us know he's worth it. And I say no here because Jesus is worth more than that. Just as alcohol decreases our awareness of our personal limitations, the Holy Spirit actually increases our awareness of our personal limitations. We realize we're flawed, broken human beings. And at the same time, he also increases our awareness of the glory and the majesty, the power and the heart of God. And so we go, I'm not able, but he is able. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The alcohol depresses our critical thinking function, but the Holy Spirit increases it. He makes us wise. He helps us to ask, is it a good idea? He gives us a godly perspective on the situation. This is a genius and beautiful analogy for what Paul wants us to know, which is God gives us himself to help us. And just as if we keep on drinking alcohol, we'll do stupid things. If we keep on drinking of the Holy Spirit, we will do excellent things. Do you see? So I was preparing this talk. I uh, felt quite clearly God just drop a sentence into my thinking, and I couldn't really weave it in, so I'm, I'm going out on a sort of prophetic limb instead. I just felt him say that there's some people here this morning that need to know that you are more than the sum of your desires. You are more than the sum of your desires. The world we live in tells us that our desires define us, but God says, no, you are more than the sum of your desires. And if you feel trapped this morning by desire that you just don't know how to break through, maybe it's temptation, maybe it's addiction, God says to you, you are worth more to me than your desires. And I see more of you 
than the desires of your heart. There is more to you. And I love you. Maybe that some of your desires is a deep source of shame in your life. Maybe you dislike yourself. I think God would want to encourage you this morning that he extravagantly loves you. That you can't behave your way into his affection. You can't desire your way into his affection. But you are more than the sum of your desires and you're worth more than the sum of your desires. If you need to hear that this morning, I pray the Spirit of God would hit your heart powerfully. And you would know love and you would know breakthrough. And if you want someone to pray for you later, I'm sure someone will. We had a, a guy who used to come to Hope fairly regularly that they moved away now. And um, he once said to a leader here, when I come to Hope, I find I make better decisions in my life. And I remember hearing this back secondhand, and I thought, oh, I was really encouraged by it. He comes, wasn't a believer. But it helps him make better decisions in life. I was like, that's a good thing. I was encouraged. And over the, the years since, I've reflected on it a bit. And I, you know, I am slightly encouraged. <coughs> but increasingly, I'm like, oh, it does sum up part of the problem. And I want to s- explain it to you. It's very possible to come to this room and be amongst this community of people on a Sunday morning and feel warmly welcomed and loved. It's possible to sit and have your eyes lifted to a different way of seeing the world, to receive wisdom from the scriptures. And the process of coming here gives you wisdom for life, but you get it without new life. That's what was happening for this man. He was making better decisions in his life, but he didn't have new life. He was getting wisdom for life, but he missed out on life itself, which is found in Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit, it's not just you, you come to church and you get wisdom and you do excellent things. The Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't just do that. The Holy Spirit is the intrinsic part of transforming your life. The Bible talks about being born again. That the death and resurrection of Jesus where he died and then came back to life suddenly becomes effective in your life where something dies in you and you are born again. The theological world is regeneration. Your heart is regenerated. You are born again into life that is truly life. It's possible to get wisdom without new life. It's possible, but it's tragic. Because in the process, you're missing out on what is truly life. You're missing out on Jesus, the source of the wisdom. Last week, we heard from four people the story of God becoming real for them in their lives and their decision to follow him. And then we put them under the water as a sign of a death. And we brought them out as a sign of new birth. And when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, that's the principle and first thing that he does in our lives. You can get some wisdom, great. But what you need is new life. What you need is new birth. And it may be that you're here this morning and you go, I can resonate with what that man says. I, I like this place. I get some wisdom for life, but do I know and love Jesus? I don't know. If I really pushed you, you'd say no. I'm not sure. And it would be remiss of me to talk about the Spirit and not get to the point of saying, it's by the Spirit that we're born again to Jesus. We become alive to God. 
Don't just take wisdom that helps you make better decisions, but still not know life. Jesus is far better than that. And that's the picture of the end of the passage that we've read. You see, what the, Paul begins to describe is this incredible picture of a new life, an utterly transformed heart. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. I mean, that is a picture of joy, a joy a lot of people in the world would like. That is a picture of contentment, the picture of contentment that a lot of people in the world are striving for. That's a picture of lightness, where you don't have to wear the heavy burden of the world but have a lightness of the freedom of knowing Jesus. That, to me, sounds like life. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the picture of someone who knows that they are accepted because they're able to go on giving thanks in all situations. It's a picture of someone who knows the affirmation of God that comes by the Spirit. They know that they're loved no matter what. They know that they're safe no matter what, so they can sing and they can dance and they can celebrate, they can make music, they can be thankful. There's an author called G.K. Chesterton who is quite witty. I don't know if you've read any of his work. He's got a great quote. The worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and has no one to thank. It's a great conversation starter, should you ever want it. The worst moment for an atheist is when he's really thankful but has no one to thank. But the consequence of being filled with the Spirit, of seeing who Jesus is, of knowing the love of God present in your life, is you become overflowing in thankfulness. And you know the one that you are thankful to. Because the Spirit connects you to the one who is life. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the Spirit being the one who is the Spirit of adoption. It's by him we cry, Abba, Father. That as he lives in us, as Antonio said earlier, he does something in our hearts that tells us we are accepted, that we are affirmed, that we are loved, that the affection of God is turned towards us, and that we are assured of our position in him. We can cry, Abba, Father. God has not called us, friends, to a cold drudgery. He's not called us to pointless, menial tasks. He's called us into life and joy and song and music and love and assurance and peace. All things that the Spirit does in our lives. And so the, the question you, you, you should be thinking by now, because it's one I've been trying to make you ask, is how? I've got three pictures for you. hope that's Okay. And the first one is this, Jesus, in John chapter 7, stands up in a very crowded city, because it's a big festival, and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink, and rivers of living water shall flow from within their hearts. John then puts in parentheses underneath, by this he meant the spirit which was yet to be given. If you feel like it is hard, if you feel thirsty, 
The invitation of Jesus is come to me and receive the Spirit. And rivers of living water will run from your heart. If you feel like you've been living with wisdom for life, but without new life, wisdom for life, but without knowing the one who is life, the invitation of Jesus to you is this. Come to him and receive the spirit who makes you alive to God with a new heart and a new relationship. Second picture comes from Jesus after his crucifixion and his resurrection. He's with his disciples. And he says to them, hey, guys, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift that my father's promised to give you. John, John the Baptist, he baptized you guys with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Think about that picture for a moment. Rewind a week in your mind's eye to the sunny poolside at Rudding Park. And we had people and we took them down into the water and we plunged them fully underneath the water. They were completely soaked, utterly drenched, completely saturated. We pulled them back up. There was not one bit of them that was not wet, that was not consumed with water. Jesus says, you were dunked in the water, but you're going to be dunked into the Holy Spirit. Wait and receive it from God. The word baptizo, that Greek word, is used in dyeing cloth and dipping sheep. You know, you take the wool and you plunge it into the dye and it comes out different. You baptize it. That's the verb. You take your sheep, which is ridden with fleas, and you plunge it into insecticide, which is organic and herbal and stuff. And you get it out. And all the fleas are gone because it's utterly drenched. That's the picture Jesus is painting of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of his people. That's the You go, I, I know Jesus, but does he love me? And you get utterly drenched with the love of God, utterly saturated. And if you're here this morning and you, you're a believer, you follow Jesus, you'd answer yes, but you're just not sure he truly loves you. You're just not confident in the assurance of your faith. I want to suggest to you that that picture that Jesus paints for them might just be the picture that you need to hear from the Lord this morning. There is a utter plunging into God himself that comes with an affirmation that transforms the way you see life. The third picture is the one we've already read. Feel like you've run dry, feel like you've been squeezed and squashed by life, feel like it's hard work. The invitation of Paul is participate in the ongoing filling of the Spirit. The heart of God is that you would be repeatedly, continually, and unceasingly filled with the Spirit of God. It's not for one moment and then you're on your own, chum. It's not a gift that God puts inside you and then you're left to work it all out. No, it's the very heart of God continually flowing into your life. Rivers of living water will flow from within you. Friends, if we come and we try and follow Jesus without being continually filled with the Spirit, it's a little bit like trying to push a car up a hill on our own. It was never God's intention that you would have to do this on your own. God's intention, God's heart was always that he would help you, as he's always helped his people, by giving you of himself. The Holy Spirit is the fuel, the ignition, to get the car up the hill. 
I drive an electric car. The, the Holy Spirit is the electricity that drives the motor that gets you up the hill. No one ever said the Christian life was easy. In fact, Jesus said it was a narrow path. He said it involves carrying a cross and dying to yourself. But he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come back to you. He told the disciples specifically, wait, do not attempt to do what I told you to do, which is to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Don't try and do it until you've received the baptism of the Spirit. And as they receive the baptism of the Spirit, what happens? 120 people who were previously scared and hiding in a locked upper room spill out into the marketplace in Jerusalem and tell the world that God has done something marvelous because of the assurance and the confidence that comes from the power of God present in our lives. Friends, to follow Jesus in 2023, we really do need to train our attention. And it is a fight. We really do need to respond to the invitation of Jesus to be called friend, to come to the table, to sit with him, enjoy his company, and see the plans of the Father laid out before us. But if we try and do that without an understanding that we are continually filled with the Spirit, if we try and do that without the position of an open heart to the receiving of the Spirit from God, that we would go on being filled with the Spirit, we are... It's not worth thinking about. So I want to come into land and give us a chance to respond, to receive the Spirit. I'm going to pray in a moment one of the most ancient prayers in the church, come Holy Spirit. And there will be some of you here today, I'm sure, who actually resonate with that. Wisdom, I like it here, I'm loved. I learn how to live my life a bit better, but do I know Jesus? I'm not sure. And maybe today what I've said has just made you go, but I want to. You can receive Jesus today by the Spirit. Maybe you're here and you've not really understood God's heart for you by the Spirit. You've not been baptized in the Spirit, not been drenched in power from on high. And we can pray for that this morning. You can respond and ask God for that Holy Spirit, that assurance, that security, the cry of the Spirit with our spirit, Abba, Father, that you would know that you're loved and cherished and safe. Maybe you feel you've run dry. It has been hard. It's been hard. And you go, no, God, I need to turn my heart to you again and go on being filled with the Spirit this morning and this afternoon and this evening and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And so what I'm going to do in a moment, I'm going to invite you, if you want to respond to any of those three, all at the same time, I'm going to invite you to stand and to position yourself before God however you'd like. I'm going to pray. Hannah and the band are going to lead us into worship. As they do, I'm going to invite you, if you are responding to the first two and you know you need that breakthrough, come down. I'm sure some folk would love to pray for you as we worship God this morning. So Hannah, band, you guys want to come back up? Paul writes this. It's the climax of his argument about what it is to live with God. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, go on being filled with the Spirit. 
speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we turn our attention to Jesus for a moment? Jesus, we're so thankful that you did not leave us as orphans, but you asked the Father to send another just like yourself to us. And Lord, we want to be those who who follow you and enter into life and know life in all its fullness in this moment in which you positioned us and called us to live. And Father, I ask, would you come this morning and move by your spirit amongst us? Empower us help us, refresh us and renew us for that journey. If you know you need to respond this morning to any of those three pictures, to come to Jesus because you're thirsty and have rivers of living water flow from within your heart. If you know you need that baptism of the Spirit, a drenching in the power of God. If you know you've run dry and you've got to come again before the Lord and be filled with the Spirit again, I want to encourage you, rise rise to your feet and I would like to pray for you as we move into worship.